Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Good Friday, April 18th, 2014. Today's message is titled, The Power of the Cross for Your Real Life, by Rev. Isaac Whiting, and is based on scripture, John, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. The cross is the most powerful symbol in the history of the world. It is a symbol that has turned nations from darkness to light. It is a symbol that has been misunderstood, wars fought over it. It is a symbol that is all over our world. Churches, other organizations, around people's necks, even if they don't know what it means. But it is the most powerful symbol in the world. Because the cross, more than any other symbol, means love. And love, of course, is the most powerful force in existence. Have you ever thought about this? That love is actually more powerful, not just better or nicer, but more powerful than anything else. It's more powerful than political power. Love is more powerful than money, the economy. Love is more powerful than electricity, the force of gravity, or even a nuclear bomb and the stars themselves. And that is because love is the power that created all the other powers. God is love. And all of those other things, in fact, everything that exists, exists because and through this power of love. And on the cross, Jesus demonstrates to us what true love is. And in doing so, he unleashed the greatest power the universe will ever know. We're going to talk about the cross this morning. And I have three main points that I will bring. The first is that the cross means that God loves you. Secondly, the cross means that you are set free or can be set free from sin. And finally, that the cross is the way forward. The cross is the way forward. God loved this world this world, so much that he gave his only son, his one and only son, so that whoever puts their confidence in him will never perish, but will have eternal life. Notice first that in John 3.16 we see that God loves the world. He loves this world, and that is remarkable, isn't it? Because this world is full of all kinds of things that God hates. He loves the people of this world, even though right under the surface, we are full of evil, greed, wrong desires, and everything bad. You remember a few years ago, back in 2011, there was a little hockey game that was played in downtown Vancouver. 
You remember that? And there was this nice-looking crowd of people that went down to that hockey game to watch and to have fun in the streets. They were all normal, good people. And yet, when the conditions were right, when the conditions were right, that crowd of normal, good-looking people showed what was really deep down inside them all the time. The lid was torn off, the evil came flowing out, and they tore downtown Vancouver to pieces. Now, if this were unusual, that would be one thing, but it is not. We know from all kinds of world history, things that happen currently in the news, you know from your own life and your own family that almost everyone, almost all the time, is just barely keeping a hold on the evil that's inside them, putting on a good face. But as soon as the conditions are right, we lose control, and what's really inside of us comes out. And this is the world that God loves. This is the world that God loves, even though he sees right through all of our false appearances. He sees all the way into the heart of every human being. And as if that were not enough, not only does God love this whole world, but God loves you. The message of the gospel is much more than just God loves anyone or God loves everyone or God loves the whole world. God loves you the individual that you are. He loves you so much that he would risk his own life, even give up his own life for you. Jesus tells a story to illustrate this. He tells us about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. You remember this story? Nod if you do. Good nodding. A shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep goes missing. How did the shepherd even know? Sheep all look alike, right? They all look exactly the same. How did he even know one was missing? Did he count them? No. He knew them so well. A stranger could never have told that just one sheep was missing, but he knew them so well that he knew immediately that one was gone. This is the kind of attention that God pays to your life, not just to the world, but to you. The shepherd then does this incredible thing, seeing that one sheep is missing. 99 are still left, right? He's still got an A, doesn't he? How many of you would be okay with 99% on your math test or something like that? That's still an A and a very good one. But this shepherd will not have it. He loves that one sheep so much that he runs. He abandons the other 99 sheep. He risks his life. He risks his, his finances, his entire business, his family. He risks everything to go after one sheep who is lost. That is how much God loves you. And that is what is demonstrated to us 
on the cross. That God loves you. What if you knew that God loved you? What if you knew it deep down, all the way to the depths of your soul? You really knew and had confidence that the God who made the entire universe cared about you that much. What would your life be like? Your life would be like heaven, wouldn't it? You would not be afraid of anything. You would have nothing to fear if you knew that that God, who has all power, loved you that much. And you would have nothing to prove if you knew it. You would no longer be stressed or worried about how you appear to other people. You would no longer be worried about success or what you achieve in your life. You would already be worthy because God loves you. This is the first and in many ways the greatest power of the cross for your real life. That was the first point. God loves you. Secondly, the cross means that you can be set free from sin. It means that you can be set free from sin. You can be forgiven of the things you have done wrong, but even more than that, you can be set free from what is wrong inside of you. I want you to imagine, not imagine, remember a person. I want you to think of a person who you just don't get along with. I'll give you a moment to think about it. I want you to come up with a specific person in your mind who you just don't get along with. Maybe this person, early in your relationship, when you first met them, you made a bad impression. Or you did something that they didn't like, or maybe they did something you don't like. And then they kind of wrote you off. Have you ever had that experience? And now they interpret everything that you do through their perception of who you are. So nothing you do is ever good to this person. Or maybe you have what we like to call in our modern society a personality conflict with this person. By the way, that's just a cop-out personality conflict. It just means you don't really want to work on the relationship, and so you're going to give up. But so you are very different people, you and this person, that you just don't get along with. You have different desires. You want different things. You have different ways of looking at the world. And so whenever you have an idea, this person thinks it's a bad idea. They have exactly the opposite idea. And whenever they have an idea, it's same for you. You think their ideas are ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, if this person that you are cut off from, that you just don't get along with, if this person is an acquaintance, maybe someone at your church that you have to see occasionally, maybe someone you work with from time to time, you can deal with that. Your life is not terrible because you are in, you're out of relationship with this person. But if this person is closer to you, someone who had been your close friend or a family member, let's say this person that you have a personality conflict with is a spouse, 
or a child or a parent, if that's the case, then it will wreck your whole life. It will make your life really bad in many ways and in some cases destroy your life. Now imagine that the one you have a personality conflict with is the God who created you. If you have a personality conflict with the God who created you, you and God just don't get along. It will ruin you forever. It will cut you off from the only source of life, and it will be what the Bible describes as hell. And this is the situation that we are all in. We have a personality conflict with God. The things that he wants are completely different from the things that we have wanted. We are very different kinds of people. God is a person. And every time he has a thought, we think his thoughts are ridiculous. And every time we have a thought, he can't believe that's what we're thinking about. We have a personality conflict with God himself. We are cut off from him. But the cross, the cross means that we can be brought back. The cross is like a doorway. It is an open doorway back into relationship with God. Our sins must be forgiven in order for us to come back into relationship with God. The things that we have done wrong must be wiped away, and the cross wipes them away. But beyond that, if we really are going to become people who are in relationship with God, who truly know God, then we must become different kinds of people. John 3.16 says, that everyone who has confidence in God will be given eternal life. I'll ask you another question today. What is eternal life? Does eternal life simply mean that you will continue to live on, existing forever after your physical body dies? You will never cease to be alive? It does not only mean that. Every one of us here today are spiritual beings. We are also physical beings, but we have a soul. We have a spirit. And that means that you will never cease to exist. Things that are spiritual, unlike things that are physical, never end. They go on forever. So eternal life cannot simply mean you keep on going forever. Internal life means something much more. In John chapter 17, in this same book that we've read from this morning, Jesus tells us exactly what he means by eternal life. Eternal life is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life is to be deeply connected to the source of all life. A good way to think of it might be to think of it as infinite life or unlimited life. It certainly goes on after this life, but eternal life is something that we enter into through the cross right now.
It is our relationship with God. The cross opens this way. It makes a way for us to turn back from our sins and to become different people, new people, so that we can, even now and forever, enter into eternal life. This was the second point, that the cross sets us free from our sin. Finally, the cross is the way forward. The cross is the way forward. In the early days of Christianity, in the early days of this religion that we are all part of, the first followers, disciples, students of Jesus, they had no idea or thought that they were starting a new religion. They had no word Christianity. In fact, what they thought they were doing what they were doing is following a new way of life. A new way of life that came into the world through Jesus Christ. A way of life that had been demonstrated by him and which all of his students then proceeded to try and live by his power. In the book of Acts, we see this very clearly. In the book of Acts, The word Christian only occurs a couple of times. And when the earliest disciples talk about this new thing that came into the world through Jesus, they call it the way. It is the way, the new way of Jesus. So what is this way? If Jesus brought into the world a new way of life, and that's what his students were putting their confidence in, trying to become like him, what is this new way of life? The easiest, shortest, most succinct way to describe this new way of life that Jesus brought into the world is the cross. The cross is not only the way that Jesus died, The cross is the way that Jesus lived. It is his regular, habitual, established mode of living. What do I mean? On the cross, Jesus has his arms stretched out. He no longer has any power to do anything. He has relinquished all of his power, and he is dying. And he says on the cross to God and before the whole world his message that he will trust in God no matter what happens. No matter what happens, Jesus will trust that God loves him and has his best interests, that he is safe with his father even if he dies, even if he dies in quite a brutal way. All of us come into this world with a certain set of desires, a certain set of things that we want, even that we need, right? We come into the world and we want clothing, 
And we want food. We want shelter and safety, security. All of us want to be loved by other people. All of us want to be accepted. All of us want to live an enjoyable life. We want to enjoy life and have fun and be happy. These are the desires that we come into the world with. All of these desires are good. But the problem is that all of these desires tempt us. They become a temptation to push God out of the place that only he can have in our lives if we want to live a good life. When something comes and it doesn't look like I'm going to have enough food to eat, I will be tempted in that situation not to trust God, to try and take things into my own hands, under my own control. If people make fun of me and don't accept me and reject me, I will be tempted in that situation not to trust God, but to allow my desire to be loved to rule my life and take control of things myself. That is the path to sin and death. But Jesus' regular, settled way of life was to destroy temptations in himself. Jesus was a human being just like us. And he was, the Bible tells us, tempted in every way that we are. In every way. Whenever Jesus had a temptation, a situation where it looked like God was not doing what was best for him and one of his desires threatened to take control of his life, he went away and sought God. He did the things that allow the Holy Spirit to come into him and remove those temptations, put those desires in the right place, subjected to his desire to know God his Father. He would go away by himself for long periods of time. He would pray. He would fast. He would seek God until the temptation was gone. And so if we look at the cross from this point of view, we'll see that the cross was not only Jesus' greatest victory over sin and over death and over the world and over Satan, it was also his greatest victory over himself. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples, don't worry about me, because in me, Satan has absolutely nothing on his side. In me, Jesus said, there is nothing left that is on the side of Satan, on the side of my temptations and desires. And as he died on the cross, he proved he proved that this was true. Think about his suffering for a minute on the cross. He suffered physically. We often talk about how much he suffered physically. He was beaten. He was kept up all night. He was nailed to a cross. Everything in his body would have cried out against this. Everything in his physical being would have said, No, no. This is not right. God is abandoning us. Let's take control ourselves. But Jesus did not. His desires were all subjected to his desire to seek God, to know God, to his trust and faith in his Father. 
And so he overcame the temptation, even in immense physical suffering. But of course, though we often talk about his physical suffering, Jesus suffered much more on the cross in other ways. Think about how Jesus suffered socially on the cross. On the cross, all of the people who were well-established and esteemed in his day, all of the government officials and religious leaders, everyone who was anyone rejected him. They said that he was not who he claimed to be, that he was in fact an imposter, a fraud deserving of death. Not only that, but his closest friends, the men that he had been with 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three years, all of them abandoned him. One of them betrayed him, wanted him dead. Imagine that kind of suffering. It is bad to suffer physically, but even worse to suffer from the ones that you love. You know this from your own life. But even in that moment, as Jesus suffered social rejection by everyone, even his closest friends, he had no desire to take control himself. He still placed his trust completely in God. Even if everyone abandons me, even if I am a complete failure in everyone's eyes, still I trust that you love me, God. And finally, consider how Jesus suffered spiritually. Consider how he suffered in the Spirit. This, of course, was his worst suffering of all. Think about the relationship that Jesus had enjoyed with God up to that point. Again, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus did nothing but listen to what his Father in heaven was telling him to do and go and do it. That was his life, a life of constant interaction with God. And it gave him incredible strength. It gave him incredible power, power to change the world. And on the cross, as Jesus died, God placed upon him the sin of everyone who had or would ever live. And he was cut off from his relationship with his father. He was cut off from God in that moment, cut off completely from the source of life. This is why we say in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell. Because this, in fact, is what hell is, to be completely separated from God. Jesus experiences this on the cross. And yet, this man, this incredible man, better than everyone else who has ever lived, is able to stretch out his hands on the cross and say to his father, even if you abandon me, even if you allow me to go to hell, I will still trust that you love me. I will still trust that you are in control and the best thing I can do is whatever you want. Jesus proved in that moment that he had left no other will 
but the will of God. He wanted nothing but what his Father in heaven desired. And this is what gave him the power that we will talk about on Easter, the power to overcome the world and even death itself, the power to enter eternal life. And so the cross stands before us and calls to us. It is God calling out to the world, saying that he loves every one of us. He loves you. Even though he sees everything that is inside of us, It is God saying that we can be set free from the sin and the way we are on the inside. And it is God showing us the way forward, calling us to live this same kind of life that Jesus did, subjecting everything to the will of God, because that is the very best kind of life possible. It is eternal life. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you so much for the gift that you have given to us by Jesus' death on the cross. We pray this morning for understanding and for vision that everyone who hears these words in our congregation this morning and around the world will know what the cross means, that your love will be driven deep into our souls, and that we will be enabled to live a new life, the life of Jesus. God, thank you for this incomparable gift. We pray this all through his powerful name. Amen.